encouraging story to hear how God was working through Al's life to bring care into our community. And you just get the sense that our church is kind of coming back into the building more, just coming into life more. Uh, Grace Kids to have classes on Sundays now, two classes. It's because you're stepping up. And uh, we've got baptisms next weekend. It's exciting what God's doing there. And uh, overall, this series is called Living Hope. We're not that far from Easter, by the way, when you think about resurrection and coming back to life. We're in the book of 1 Peter, going through God's word together. And it's such a joy as we come together to see there's people of all ages, generations at our church, all cultures, some people online and in person uh, just exploring Jesus for the first time. Some, you know, recently coming to know the Lord in, in the Bible for the first time. Some of you have been walking with Jesus and been at this church for decades, maybe even 50 years, but this is a time you sense of renewal in your walk with God. And we're journeying, we're following Jesus together. Abide and respond from John chapter 15. We're abiding with Jesus together. So if you brought a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 10. The message today is undistracted devotion. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 10. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you. We give you praise for every good thing in our lives, Lord. We sense, Lord, your presence when we're working, when we're resting, when we're talking, when we're listening. We thank you that you're always with us, know us, care for us, protect us. We give you praise. And Father, we know that part of your calling in our lives is to be countercultural in many different ways, God. It takes courage to do that and discernment. But we pray as we get into your word today, and more importantly, as your word gets into us today, God, that you would transform our lives, Jesus. We would align with your word. We would honor you and bring you glory together. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How do we move from distracted to devoted? Have you noticed maybe in the last year you feel like you've been sidetracked at different points? And what does it look like to follow Jesus and be devoted? Peter is writing this letter. The Holy Spirit is writing through Peter. And Peter is someone who knows what it's like to follow Jesus and then get distracted. He took a few steps. That's right. He walked on water. Some of the other disciples aren't going to say that. But he walked on water. At the same time as he was walking on water, he got distracted by the waves and started to sink. Some of us get distracted by the trials, and we start to sink. Peter was focused, and he was going to pray because Jesus asked him to pray, but then there were some good nap options. And you know we've got some good nap options, and sometimes we might say yes to a little laziness, and instead of praying, Peter fell asleep. Peter was going to tell the world. I mean, Jesus is the Savior. He declared it. He's the Son of God. And yet, a little girl came up and Peter got distracted by the girl and the crowds and the opposition to Jesus and he denied Jesus three times. Jesus said to follow me and yet Peter's eyes went over to John and he started to think, well, what if John doesn't suffer as much as I do? Do you ever compare to another person and how much are they suffering and how much are you suffering and what's their path and your path? And sometimes in that comparison, we get distracted. We get sidetracked. Jesus said, follow me, but Peter was thinking about John. As we look at Peter's story, we can relate. And in the Gospels, Peter's growing, but he's sometimes distracted. When you get to Acts, and this is the history of the church, you see Peter very devoted, very focused. And it's kind of a new, undivided devotion to Jesus, the way he's living for the Lord. 
And maybe you've been longing, desiring a greater focus, a clearer purpose, and not to be caught up in what the world offers, but instead to live for Jesus. And we're going to take a look today at three important areas of our lives, significant areas in terms of being devoted to God. And these verses also include some dynamics where it's not easy to hear, and sometimes people don't want to hear these verses, don't want to live these verses, but God often calls us to be countercultural, and we want to honor God's word. Uh, sometimes preachers want to avoid some of these verses, just kind of hope the snow comes this weekend, and we, we don't have church, you know. Preachers wrestle with these kind of things, but let's dive into these three important areas. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Peter writes, once you were not a people, but now You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This first area is destructive desires. Being devoted to God, when we have desires that are destructive, that are sinful, Peter's very straightforward about sin. I think we live in a time right now where we need churches to be faithful to call sin, sin. And things have changed the last 20 years. By my observation, it's more difficult to find churches that call sin, sin. And I don't know if there's just confusion in, in overall in the world today, or there's conformity to the patterns of this world, or there's fear that people might leave the church if we call sin, sin. But we want to be faithful to God. How are we going to have purity if we don't call sin, sin? And what is sin? Well, there's so many listings in Scripture for our benefit to protect us and provide for us. Galatians 5, here's a few specifics. Impurity, idolatry, resentment, jealousy, rage, selfishness, drunkenness. And you say, just from that list, and that's not the whole list in Galatians 5, you say, but those things are common today. That's like an everyday practice today. And if we're honest, we all feel a personal pull towards those things. There is a pull towards sin and temptation every day in our lives. And uh, there's a Christian leader who's been in the news a lot the last couple months because before this, he was uh, perceived as one of the most wise, respected, discerning Christian leaders in the world. And people would say that who followed Jesus. People would say that who don't follow Jesus. And we were pretty stunned the last couple months after he died to find out what was happening in his life and that there was a double life that was happening for a long time. It involved massage parlors and many victims and just tragic stuff, devastating. People in our church have come to me and said, how do we process this? What do we do? And maybe you've had people in your life that you thought were so solid with God, and then you found out later there was a whole other story going on. And, And that's crushing in one sense. But it's also a reminder for all of us a couple of things. One, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't lift up any person above the Lord. We keep our eyes on Jesus, who's always faithful, who's always good. And also, we keep our eyes on Jesus because any of us could sin in any way, any day. And it's a reminder that we need to stay humble. We need to stay close to God. We need to stay relying on God, trusting God, living his word, keeping each other, building each other up. We want to keep our eyes 
on Jesus. You know, Peter made some decisions that were listed in the Bible that are pretty embarrassing and, and pretty rough. And if our sins were listed like Peter's sins were publicly, right, that wouldn't be so easy. But we learn from Peter. Peter at one point said to Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And when we talk about becoming near to God, sometimes we feel that as well. How do we walk in purity? And Peter, with a loving heart, there's two elements here. Don't miss these. Acceptance and diligence. Acceptance and diligence. Acceptance is grace. It's your identity. Your deepest identity is more than your career, your performance, your achievements, your family name, your country of origin. That's not your deepest identity. Your deepest identity is that you are accepted and forgiven. You are in God's family. And as a son and daughter of God, that is powerful. There's a security there. There's an acceptance that all your sins have been paid for, that your pardon is in full. It's given to you. It's eternal. It's personal. Your sins are wiped out because of Jesus and his blood. And you are secure in this grace and in this relationship. There's no deeper identity. And, and that's what Peter declares. You are, he says, the people of God. You have received mercy. And so in terms of purity, we don't start out by just actions. We start out with identity. And it's grace-based. But then there's also a diligence he says, beloved, dearest friends and family, I urge you out of care and love. I urge you, and you see his heart. He says, abstain. This means to hold back, continually hold back from sin. Abstain, continually hold back. In a sports context, you've seen when someone gets kind of heated, and we have heated temptations in our life. When it gets heated, teammates will step in so that person won't approach the referee or won't go after the other team. Teammates step in. It's like, let's abstain. Let's abstain. And God has given us gifts. They are gifts to help us in our walk, in our devotion, and in our purity. One of the gifts God has given us is the Holy Spirit, literally his, his presence. The Holy Spirit is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Romans when you think about the choices that we're making during the day. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Every day we're making decisions. Where are we going to set our mind? What are we setting our minds on during the day? Is it on what the flesh desires? But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We say yes to the Holy Spirit and set our minds intentionally. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The Holy Spirit is with you and in you every day, guiding, saying, no, that's not for you. That's not from God. Convicting, comforting, encouraging. The work of the Holy Spirit is personal in this battle with sin. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We also have a gift from God that is the Word of God. The Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. In your life, the word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word. We need to take in God's word. It's our spiritual nourishment. When Jesus was tempted, you know what he kept saying? The word of God. It is written. He would say it over and over again. This encouraged me from Psalm 19 when we think about God's commands. Uh, Psalm 19 reminds us, as we just want to be washed in the word, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. And we have prayer. When you're tempted, pray. The Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us, right? Deliver us from evil. Deliver us the evil that's right in front of me, the evil I'm tempted to do. God, deliver me. God will always give you a way out. Talk to God when you're tempted. That's the time to pray. God will help you. He'll give you a way out. And then we also, from the Bible, have this, and this is a gift, and it's distance. Proverbs chapter 4 and 5 talk about keeping a distance from sin. If a man heaps uh, coals on his lap, will he not get burned? Uh, you want to stay distant from sin. That's wise. You might need a blocker on your phone or computer. You might need to remove some names off your contact list. Uh, you might need to drive home in a different way so you don't go by that store. Or, you know, you know what's being offered there and you, you shouldn't even drive by it because it's tempting. It's wise to have distance. You might need to get rid of some books, get rid of some material you've got. You, you might need to step back in a relationship. Where are you most tempted during the week? If you were honest and said, this last week, regarding sin, I'm most tempted in this area, in this way, and at this time. That's my number one temptation. Then I'm going to ask you, how can you get some distance? How can you step back from that temptation, get some wise distance? And then lastly, accountability is a gift. We don't want to live in isolation. You know, sin lurks in the dark. You bring it out into the light, some accountability, someone asking you some hard questions, you asking someone else some hard questions, giving some honest answers. If we don't want any accountability, sin has a way of just being, we harbor sin without accountability. But with accountability, it comes out in the light. We confess our sins. There's healing. There's change. These are all gifts from God. And ultimately, God is looking out for our souls. And these bless our relationships. Not only that, but Christians then were being accused of all sorts of things. And when people are going to accuse you and try to slander you, when you walk in the light and you walk in purity, they don't have any evidence there because there's really nothing there. You're honoring the Lord. And with all these different things, I feel like this first theme is to go forward, don't go back. In this last year, it feels like a lot of areas of our life are kind of, you know, status quo or restricted or going back. But don't go back with sin. During COVID, don't say, oh, yeah, it's COVID. It's tough. I've just picked up this old bad habit and I'm going back on this one and I kind of drifted on this one. No, go forward. Go forward with the Lord. If God sets you free from Egypt and slavery and leads you to the promised land, don't go running back to slavery. If God pulls you out of the prison of sin and some of the habitual sins and God leads you out, don't go back in the jail cell. Don't go backwards. Go forwards. And there were challenging times as Peter writes this. He was writing to northern Turkey today. It was intense, scattered, persecuted. But he says, go forward with the Lord. Get away from the destructive desires and honor God. That's the first area, caring for our souls. Here's the second area. And this is, I'm calling it anti-biblical authority. The situation then, and we experience this today, anti-biblical authority. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and starting in verse 13. 
submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Don't miss in verse 13 this phrase, for the Lord's sake. Why would we live this way? It's for the Lord's sake and the Lord's glory. This passage is uh, packed, (laughs) it's loaded, and let's take a look, let's dive in. I also want to point out that Peter, in one instance, took out a sword, and because he was frustrated with the authority, they were coming to arrest Jesus. He pulled out a sword and sliced off the ear of one of the men named Malchus. Now, Jesus picked up that ear, put the ear back on, and healed but at the same time told Peter, that's not how we're going to approach this kind of anti-biblical leadership. And sometimes for us, we can relate to Peter. We just want to pull out a sword in our comments and our attitudes. And we just want to start slicing. But again, Jesus healed Melchus. Peter understands his past behavior. But God is at work in his life. And now his attitude has changed. He writes, honor the king. And he's writing with sincerity. It's with alignment from heaven. It doesn't say honor the king if you like the king. It doesn't say honor the king if you agree with the king. It doesn't say honor the king if you voted for the king. It just says honor the king. Honor the king. Honor the governor. The different layers of leadership. And maybe you think, oh, well, Peter probably had great leadership back then. This was probably easy to write. Well, actually, Nero was the leader from 54 to 68 AD. And Nero... Instead of protecting the people, he was persecuting the Christians. Christians violently, brutally were killed, thrown to lions, burnt at the stake. Peter is writing during a time of intense persecution. Again, the role of the government is what? To protect the people and also to commend the good, to take care of those who do wrong, and sometimes punish them and create that kind of justice, really, in the land. And Nero was doing the exact opposite of it, But at the same time, what does Peter write? Honor the king. There is authority that God sets up, and it starts with Jesus. That's the most important decision. Who's your leader? Is it yourself? Is it your friends? Is it the culture? Is it Jesus? Who's the leader of your life? And that's the place to start. But then God sets up leadership at home in parents. Parents are the leaders. Well, children, honor your parents. What about with the government? God sets up leaders, and he wants his followers to honor the government leaders. We live in a time right now where disrespect for leaders is running high. Disrespect for leaders. I can't remember a year when I've seen so many people declare that I'm Christian, and they'll let you know on Facebook or in a conversation, oh yeah, I'm Christian, and then they'll add a bunch of comments that's completely unbiblical and ungodly. At the same time they're saying I'm Christian, the next things they're going to say are completely opposite of the Bible. And they put it out there strong. And maybe you've seen and heard a lot of this. And we need to come back to this scripture. We need to come back and be inspired. When I think of being inspired, I want to use Jackie Robinson as an example. 
Jackie Robinson, this goes back to the 1940s, and Jackie Robinson overcame a lot. Now, he had to play for the Dodgers, so that was a lot to overcome. But more importantly, uh, he broke the color barrier. Love you, Dodgers fans, just having a good time. He broke the color barrier at that time. Here's a couple of his quotes. Life is not a spectator sport. If you're going to spend your whole life in the grandstand just watching what goes on, in my opinion, you're wasting your life. That is so true. Uh, Let's look at another quote. Jackie Robinson said, discover the truth of today and perhaps find the greatness of today. And you think, what's he doing talking about greatness at a time where he was treated terribly? One of his teammates said this, and it was the first baseman. His his last name was Lamb. He said, no athlete has faced greater pressure and dealt with more hatred than Robinson. How did he succeed? There's little doubt that faith played a significant role. Jackie Robinson uh, would thank the pastors that supported him, not only led him to Jesus, but supported him during that time. And then uh, one personal friend who is kind of an advisor, his name was Branch Rickey. Branch loved Jesus. And Jackie was so frustrated because with authority figures, with fans, there was uh, just the most uh, terrible statements. And Jackie wanted to strike back. And this is what Branch Rickey told him. He said, Jackie, this is what you need to do. Turn the other cheek and play baseball as hard and as well as you can. Turn the other cheek, play as hard and well as you can. And that's what Jackie did. His life is so inspiring. Why? You say, well, that comes right out of Scripture. That's honoring God while you're being mistreated. And when you think about the Bible and anti-biblical authority, Don't skip past Daniel who lived in Babylon. And what did Daniel do? He was praying and fasting. Christians today need to pray and fast for our land. And he was praying and fasting and God raised him up. He had an opportunity and he was influential in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar who hated God, now Daniel had an influence and was changing the culture. And you think about David. David had a chance to kill Saul. Saul was the king before David. Saul tried to kill David. David had many opportunities to kill Saul. But what did he say? I cannot even lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. I will honor the leader even though he's trying to kill me. That's what David said. Paul was thrown into prison. Unfairly, didn't do anything wrong. It was because of his faith. What did he do in prison? He praised God. He prayed. He shared the gospel. He led people to Jesus. And that was in prison. And it was a complete injustice. See, these are examples throughout the scripture. It's, it's not just Jesus. How do you respond when things are really off base? How do you respond politically? You know, we have a position paper at Grace, and uh, what you won't have at Grace is we're not going to endorse certain candidates uh, on a local level, a national level. We're not going to be handing around petitions during the weekends and during services asking you to sign things. That's not our posture here at Grace. And, and I know for some people that's frustrating. Uh, this last year, a lot of people want us to speak up frequently about political topics, and we just had to say no. Some people leave the church because of our posture with that. You say, well, why would we take that posture? Two reasons. One is because we value unity in the church. And sometimes with politics, things can get pretty heated and pretty soon. A lot of churches today are very divided over politics and some ugly stuff happening there. Uh, The second reason is that we want to highlight God's word and the gospel. And we want 
everyone to be able to come here, and we don't want to be seen as just one little specific on this topic, you know, real narrow politically, so that that becomes distracting in some ways, and people don't want to come and just hear about Jesus, grow in the relationship with Jesus, grow in the Word. We don't want to distract in those ways. We're not saying that this posture is for every church. There's a lot of churches that have different approaches, and that's fine, but I'm letting you know kind of where we're at and the why behind where we're at. And uh, when, when you think about that, what's about individual roles with politics? I encourage you to be aware, to be very aware, to be knowledgeable, to look at what happens in the government and line it up with Scripture and see if it's matching or not. I encourage you to vote. I encourage you to pray. Some people are going to be led into political realms, and that's wonderful. As God leads you, go and serve and make a difference and represent Jesus and shine the light of the Lord in those places and in those ways. Some of you are going to speak out, and I just say, do it in a way full of grace and truth and speak out and do it in a way that's biblical. So as God leads, you know, getting involved is good. And then uh, some would say, well, does that mean we're just going to back down in anything that's controversial, like we're not going to speak up at all? And I'd say, no, we're going to speak up often, but it'll be from a biblical standpoint. We're going to, biblical and moral, we will say it as clear as we can, honoring God and his word. And uh, sometimes when those statements are made, people take those statements and take three jumps and assumptions and then end up with a bunch of political conclusions. We're not trying to be sneaky about politics. We're just preaching the Bible and preaching morality. And here's two examples. Uh, One is that in Scripture, it's very clear, God loves people from all nations. And that racism is wrong. Racism is a sin. And I have a friend in Auburn who's black and gets death threats just because he's black. We have people in our church, kids in our church, Asian kids in our church, that there's so much bullying and racism at school that they endure as kids. And when you hear about these stories, it's sad. But I will say that racism is wrong and that God loves people from all nations. There's going to be people from all nations in heaven. And that's not a political statement. That's a biblical and moral statement. Uh, Here's another one that children in the womb are precious to God, that they are made in God's image. God is the one who forms kids in the womb, and they are human, they are loved by God, and they're precious. They're sacred. And uh, with that, uh, we take a look around the world today, and the World Health Organization tells us that there's already been six million abortions this year. That's 125,000 a day. That's more than one out of every five kids in the womb are killed in America. Now, I realize a lot of followers of Jesus, couples have had abortions together. And I want to say there's healing and there's restoration and there's hope and there's love and there's care here. So in these different areas, I'm saying that we want to be biblical. Uh, We're not shrinking back from what the Bible says, but biblical and moral. And and that's where we we, we land as a church. We want to honor God with the word. And uh, these are times to uh, make sure that we're lined up with the word. Uh, What concerns me sometimes is I see Christians that have political stances, and yet it's almost like they're trying to see politics first, and then they try to jam the Bible into their politics. And I want to tell you, be biblical. And then if your political, your favorite politician doesn't line up with the Bible, don't just give a blank check right there. Uh, Instead, be biblical first, and don't have any political idolatry in your life.
And you say, well, what about when it's not good? When the leadership is clearly going against the Bible and telling you to do something that's immoral. And I would say never give any leadership on any level so much power in your life that you will do things that are immoral or against the Bible. Don't give any leader that kind of power. And we see this in Peter's life in the book of Acts because the Bible is very clear, all of us should be active sharing the gospel. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus mentions over and over again. That's what the Bible says. Be very active in sharing your faith. Be active in sharing the gospel. Peter was that way. He was leading many people to Jesus. And the government said, and the religious leaders said, you've got to stop sharing the gospel. And this is what Peter said. It would be completely wrong for me to be silent about the gospel. That would be a terrible sin. I've got to obey God and not you. And he would share the gospel even if it meant he was going to be killed. And, and that's the biblical posture. When a government says stop doing something, if the Bible says to do it and Jesus says to do it, I'm not going to stop doing it because Bible first. Uh, and, and at the same time, what about the laws of the land? Because we've all got our favorite well, I'd say our least favorite laws that, that we don't really like. And uh, Romans chapter 13, and when it comes down to preference, Romans 13, verses 6 and 7, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You know, there was questions about taxes back in the day, and Peter was wrestling through this, and this is what Jesus did. He, he said, go ahead, Peter, you're a fisherman, go catch that fish. God put a four drachma coin in the fish. Peter caught the fish. Why? Because taxes, two drachmas, that's a couple days wages, two drachmas for Peter, two drachmas for Jesus. Go give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Honor the laws of the land. And when, because I've been concerned the last year. I've seen a lot of things that concern uh, on the political realm. And how do you respond? And my hope during Peter's time, living hope, uh, during our time, living hope, my hope is that when there are anti-biblical leaders and positions in the land, that the church would come alive. That the church would respond. Historically, the church has often been at her best when the leadership is unbiblical, anti-biblical. When persecution increases, the church rises up as the hands and feet of Jesus and shares the living hope. And no government can stop you from loving your neighbor, praying, serving, and spreading the gospel. No government can stop you. So instead of the church, I don't see in the Bible where the church says, oh, just get really passive and complain a lot and just slander. I just don't see that in the Bible. I see the church to rise up as the hope of the world, full of the Holy Spirit. And for the Lord's sake, going back, for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of integrity, uh, let's honor the Lord regardless of what the government does. And we need that conviction. We need that undistracted devotion. Here's, here's a third area. First Peter, drop down in chapter 2 to verse 18. And this is really severe suffering, interpersonal suffering. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There's a couple things that these verses are not saying. 
These verses are not saying that slavery is okay or good. That's not what these verses say. Uh, These verses are not saying if you're physically abused, that's fine. That's not what these verses say. If you're sexually abused, no big deal. That's not what these verses say. In fact, if there's a legal activity and you're physically, you're sexually abused, report it. Uh, Don't just be a doormat and let it continue to happen, but stand up with courage. Uh, It's important to know what these verses are not saying, and then it's important to know what these verses are saying. What's the context here? This word, in terms of serving, is oiketai. It's not doulos, which is more of a slave or servant, but it's oiketai. The context here is in the household, and it's a little closer to employer-employee relationships. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of details I could walk through on that topic, but um, know for this sake that it's uh, a a role that many people in the church had. Peter's writing to people who have this role where they're serving in homes, and they live there, they serve there, and it was a common uh, work environment. Now, Peter's highlighting this particular context. What about when your employer, and the word here is scolios, and you think of scoliosis, right? That's a painful condition with the back. Uh, What about when the employer is scolios? Means a little curved, a little bent, not straight, And Peter says, be respectful. Now you might hear this and say, this is ridiculous. This is just more of that Bible, ridiculous, grace. God, are you in touch with what's going on in the world? In Romans chapter 12, we receive this instruction in our relationships. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, and be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Uh, To be respectful, you say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Here's the bottom line. We're going to be in situations where we're suffering and it's undeserved. There's gossip, there's slander, there's accusations, there's a harsh tone. And the reality is these are not good and sometimes they're not going to change. The government, we don't have... Maybe the power today to just say, all right, we want to change A, B, C, D, and E. Where you work in your work setting, you might not be able to change everything just right away. So what do you do in those realities when a situation's not good, it's not changeable, and here's the living hope. What Peter's saying is that you can shine in those environments. You can shine in your private life honoring God. You can shine with your tone and your words and your attitude. You can shine as a citizen of the country. You can shine in your workplace. You can shine by being aligned with Scripture. And God has given us a freedom to serve. You might say, well, why? (laughs) I mean, why does God say this? Is Peter just a little crazy and poco loco? Like, what's going on with Peter? Has he just lost it over the years? What is he saying in these verses And, you know, some people try to point out, well, this is just a specific context. This isn't just for everybody all the time. I completely disagree. And look at where Peter goes with this. He's going to lead us to Jesus. And we need to be led to Jesus on these topics right here. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God? To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's the main idea that we've been leading up to today. Loving Jesus includes doing what you do not feel like doing. And that's where a lot of followers of Jesus just want to stop. Loving Jesus includes not just the stuff you enjoy doing, not just the stuff you feel like doing, but it includes the stuff that's difficult, that's countercultural, that's not intuitive, and sometimes we just don't feel like doing. It's important to have this paradigm. Why do we do this? Because of Christ. That's why we respond this way. And with Christ, there's a calling on your life. It's a calling of acceptance. It's a calling of family. It's a calling of forgiveness and mercy. There's a calling on your life to represent and glorify Jesus. Out of that, God is working on our character. God is refining our character. He's shattering our pride. And out of that, there's going to be conduct that leads to fruit in loving our neighbor. These are not just a couple principles to chase after. This is about a foundation of Christ as leader, a calling on our lives, alignment with Scripture, God changing our character, and then our conduct bears fruit in these difficult and even controversial areas. And bringing us back to Jesus. Jesus is our example. I remember when I took art class, painting and drawing, not my strengths. And I remember the teacher would make it look so easy. Blank slate, and she would just be like, shoo, 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 shoo. Wow. And she'd say, all right, now you do it. <laughs> and, and blank piece of paper, and I just could not do it. Now, I wasn't following Jesus then, so I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me, but, but I couldn't do it. Uh, my piano teacher, you know, I'd watch her do it, and then I'd try to do it, couldn't do it. Finally, she just said, you need to stop taking piano lessons. Like, you're, you're just wasting your time. You know, and, and sometimes we get discouraged because, like, there's an example, and like, oh, how am I ever going to do that? Jesus did that. I know he did that, but how am I ever going to do that? You have the Holy Spirit in you to help you. And together, we need each other to imitate Jesus in these areas. Encouragement, accountability, comfort, to imitate the Lord. Also, Jesus is our salvation. Jesus has saved us, and the world needs Jesus. And it's a message of salvation. When the world gets bolder with sin, we need to get bolder about spreading Jesus. You see what Al did in the story here? Al's been faithful serving on our prison team for years. I've been there with Al. I see him. He'll go up to prisoners one-on-one -on -one to say, how are you doing? How, what are your thoughts about God? Pray with them. Care for them in prison. You see the care center. He went, why? Because Jesus called him there. I love the vision. Retirement age. What are you going to do with your free time? God's leading to go to the care center. Did Al go there during COVID? He sure did. For the glory of God. Why? There's a calling on his life to serve at the care center. Uh, there's a calling on our lives. Jesus brings salvation. It's not silence. It's to spread this salvation. And also Jesus is the overseer of our souls. He's the shepherd. He's the one who watches over us. And that makes all the difference. That's why we have a living hope during the bleak times. Edgar Sandoval pointed out some of the ways that we can live uh, for Jesus. He says 56% of Americans volunteered or donated to charity in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. For Giving Tuesday, it's the highest it's been in five years. 24% of Americans say their faith has grown during the pandemic. 
And 1.7 million people have given their lives to Christ through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Our church started in the 1950s when Billy Graham came to Seattle. That's just one ministry. Digital ministry is taking off. Our, our church is reaching thousands and thousands of people around the world every week. And Billy Graham, they've seen 1.7 million make decisions for Jesus this year. Convoy of Hope worked with churches to deliver 100 million meals. I know someone who works full-time in the sound, and he sensed God calling in the middle of the pandemic to bring food, and now they've brought over 8 million pounds of food in the sound. This is not a time to be passive or complain or to be hopeless. This is a time to let God in, give the Holy Spirit access to some of those difficult areas of our life, to have the living hope of Jesus running through us, and to live for him. In closing, I'll say I was reading one commentary and said, you know, in terms of this suffering, unfair suffering, how did Jesus respond? And what we don't see is that Jesus was sulking. Jesus was nursing grudges. Jesus was complaining. Jesus was slandering and gossiping. Jesus was plotting revenge. Jesus just retreated from everyone, stopped loving people in isolation. Jesus felt defeated in a spirit of despair. Jesus, none of those. Say, well, how does Jesus respond in unfair suffering? He gives thanks to the Father. He has gratitude. He's forgiving other people. He's serving. He's speaking words of kindness. He's humble. He's listening. He's joyful. He's sacrificing. He's spreading the good news. Let's follow Jesus together. Father God, we praise you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, countercultural, we know. And Lord, it really tests us in terms of devotion, being distracted. Who are we really following? Jesus, I pray we would come back to you. We would return to you with all of our hearts. We'd return to you. We'd trust you in the most difficult areas of our lives. God, I pray where there's pain, where we've made bad decisions, you would bring healing. Lord, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I pray we'd receive your grace today, God. Lord, I pray for new habits I pray for a new purity in our lives. Father, when we don't like what we see, I pray we wouldn't just uh, take that road of petty complaining. I pray instead, God, we would rise up. I pray through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray not just for our church, but churches in the sound and in our country. God, I pray to be alive, full of the Spirit, calling sin, sin living for you, salt and a light, not discouraged, living hope. God, make us alive. Jesus, we want to live like you. We want to abide with you. We want to love like you. We want to lead like you. And help us, we pray, do a deep work in our lives. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.